Hello friends, it's Bill Allen on a Tuesday afternoon in very hot, hot July, Texas. Glad that you're joining in with us, whether you're joining in live at 3 p.m. Uh, Central Time in a uh, very hot summer in July, or if you're watching this a little bit later, either on my Facebook page or our West Irwin Live or our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages, or perhaps even our um, website where we have all of our previous lessons on our video archive page at westerwin.com, westerwin, E-R-W-I-N.com, uh, and then you click on social media and other resources and find that live streaming page and click on video archives and you're there. You can see all the past lessons, including some sermons and worship services and my Facebook lessons as well. And so you're welcome to find those. I appreciate you joining in with us today and being able to take a look at a, a prayer or two, specifically two prayers of a very faithful king uh, who offered up very faithful prayers. And in each of them, uh, there is a reason why he's so intense with his prayers. And it's something that we can identify with right off the bat because it has something to do with the, the difficult situation that his nation is in, being threatened by outsiders who are trying to pull them away, and also by his own physical health, a concern that he has. If you're wondering about that passage of scripture that says, put your house in order, that's the story of Hezekiah. And Isaiah's message. But we'll get to that. First of all, let's look at the other one, which is um, the threatening situation that the North, southern kingdom of Judah and its king, King Hezekiah, find themselves in uh, while the Assyrians are threatening the northern kingdom of Judah and their capital, Samaria, and ultimately take them away into captivity along with a bunch of other nations because they become the world power. And then they threaten Judah and they threaten Jerusalem. And so we kind of begin with what happens in the northern kingdom of Israel because of their sins and their lack of repentance. And in spite of the faithful prophets, as we've seen in our daily Bible reading, uh, going to them and urging them, pleading with them to repent or else they're going to face terrible judgment from the Lord, they did not. And so the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrians. Uh, lots of dates, of course, that are given for that. Uh, the date I'm familiar with is 721 B.C. And so 721 B.C. or B.C.E. if you prefer, is when uh, Samaria finally falls and the northern kingdom of Israel is carried off into captivity. Um, and so let's read about that a little bit before we get to, the, uh, to Hezekiah's wonderful prayer that saves the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 5, 2 Kings is where we're going to be for a few different chapters, starting in chapter 17, 2 Kings 17, verse 5. It says this, the king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, who was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel at the time, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. And that's the sad, sad ending of the northern kingdom of Israel. 
and the chroniclers, the historians who give us First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, don't pull any punches when they say why this happened. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter eighteen now, starting in verse nine. Second Kings eighteen, uh, verse nine. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, Hezekiah, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. Samaria was captured, Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Middle of verse 10, so Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. The king of Israel of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Gozan on the Habar River and in towns of the Mede. So took them east, uh, northeast, to the area that we might know as uh, some of the nations such as Iran and Iraq in that area. Verse 12 of 2 Kings 18. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God but it violated his covenant. All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. And so it's very clear uh, to the people of God who were faithful, including the ones who were recording these events, that this happened as an act of God. This happened because they had rejected God. They had rejected the law of Moses that he had given them. They had rejected the urging and words and preaching of the prophets, and so they were exiled clearly because of their uh, sin. Uh, in Second Kings chapter 17, it recounts all of that and lists all of the sins, not all of them, but tells of them how they set up uh, worship places to worship the idols of the, of the people of the land, the, the Canaanites and others. It, it talks about how they committed immorality and adultery. It talks about how they were unjust with each other. Uh, it just lays out a lot of the sins that we've heard these prophets uh, condemning them for over these last uh, several weeks of reading. And sure enough, they didn't repent. And so sure enough, the prophet's words came to pass and the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity. And then this interesting passage in 2 Kings 17, beginning in verse 24. You know, the king of Assyria, he takes all the Israelites, moves them east, okay? So what are you going to do about what had been the northern kingdom of Israel, where all the northern tribes lived? Well, he takes people from some of the other lands that he has conquered and moves them there and tells them, okay, this is your new home. Well, that doesn't sit well, and things don't go very well, and the, the people, the leaders of Assyria basically tell the king, look, this is happening because the God of this land is not happy with how the people here that you have moved here are worshiping. And so you need to bring back some of the priests and some of the people so that they can learn how to worship the God of this land properly. Well, that sounds good. So the king does that. And now you have this mixed breed of people. Some of them are Israelites and some of them are not. And um, they are not only worshiping the Lord in some form or fashion, but they're also continuing to worship these other gods and idols uh, from the peoples that were transplanted there. And also, of course, from the Canaanites and the people of the land themselves. 
And so this, this breed of people continues on and ultimately, uh, at least by the time we get to the time of Christ, they were worshiping uh, the Lord and they were uh, following the laws of Moses, but they were also had some other views as well. And we read about that a little bit to a degree in John chapter four and Jesus um, interaction with a woman at the well, uh, at Jacob's well. Now these people became known as the Samaritans. These were the Samaritans of Jesus' day. And they're there, you remember the, the land was, uh, had three districts, Roman districts in the time of Christ in the New Testament, in the Promised Land, in the land of Palestine. The southern kingdom, uh, the southern district was the district of Judea where Jerusalem was and Bethlehem. The northern district was the district of Galilee where Capernaum and Nazareth were, where Jesus was raised in Nazareth and had his home base of ministry pretty much in Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And then you had that right in the middle, which was Samaria. And those were the Samaritans. And it goes back to this moment in time when that transplanted people became a racial mix, but also a, a, uh, a religious mix of people. And so that helps us to understand. It doesn't justify it, of course, but it helps us to understand some of the strong feelings that we read about uh, in the, even in the New Testament. Uh, and so we continue on, but now, um, now uh, the king of Assyria turns his attention from the northern kingdom of Israel to the southern kingdom um, of Judah. And that's going to be his next uh, concern. And so we read about that some in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, also in 2 Chronicles 32, and in the book of our guy, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. The southern kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, is now being threatened by the king of Assyria. And Isaiah is preaching, and he's encouraging Hezekiah, and he's encouraging the people. And, but the threat is real. Israel, the northern kingdom, has been defeated, and they saw them as their brethren, even though they were unfaithful. Uh, and now they had not been spared. And so now Judah is being threatened, and there's this commander um, that is sent to Judah, to Jerusalem, uh, from the king of Assyria. And he sends a, a letter uh, to King Hezekiah, and we read about that in 2 Kings uh, chapter 19. And um, uh, we'll read beginning at verse. Uh, we'll read beginning at verse nine. This this is kind of a, a a good indication of what Hezekiah and the people of the Jews were up against. Now Sennacherib, who is now the king of Assyria, verse nine. Now Sennacherib received a report uh, that Turhakah, the king of Cush, uh, somewhere in Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Aser? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? 
Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? And so the king and also a man uh, who had the official position of the Rabshakeh, I think that's probably his position and not his name, but uh, he also was antagonizing the Jews. Uh, uh, Hezekiah and the others had asked him to speak to them uh, in a language that they understood, but that the people didn't, but he refused to do that. And, uh, and now this letter uh, threatening the people of Judah saying, look, other people's gods didn't deliver them. Yours won't either. We're, we're, we're going to win. You might as well um, surrender. And so Hezekiah receives that letter. Now what is he going to do? And what happens is one of the most faithful acts of, of uh, a, a faithful person of God that you can find. In 2 Kings 19, verse 14, 9, uh, 2 Kings 19, verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I love this already, don't you? He gets that letter and he goes to the temple and he spreads it out, lays it out before the Lord. I mean, when you're having issues and difficulties, that's what we do, right? We just take it and we lay it out before the Lord, just like Hezekiah laid out this letter. And then he prays. Verse 15 of 2 Kings 19. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. Talking about the Ark of the Covenant and that atonement cover the mercy seat. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Uh, Hezekiah says, he's not ridiculing me. He's not ridiculing this people. He's ridiculing the living God, the creator, master of the universe. Verse 17, it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. There are so many things about this prayer that I dearly, dearly love. He lays it out before the Lord. Love that image, don't you? Just love that image. And then he goes to the Lord and he prays. And he, first of all, he doesn't ask God for anything. At first, he just glorifies and honors him as the creator of the universe as the only true and living God. And then he says, now, Lord, I want you to listen to these threats because they're very real. And I love Hezekiah's honesty. He says, look, this guy is not just speaking blindly. He's, he's telling the truth. He went up against these other lands and their armies and their kings, and he defeated them. He's t that, that's the truth. But Hezekiah says another part of that truth is this. Those were not gods at all. <laughs> There's only one God, and it's the Lord, the one that I'm praying to. And so he says, I know that those gods, those idols that they threw into the fire were nothing. They were handmade things that, that men had made and then called them gods and were not gods at all. And that's why they couldn't save them. But he says, Lord, you can save us. And so please do that. Remember your people and save us. And I and Hezekiah says for this purpose, not so that Hezekiah can be glorified, but so that everyone all over the world can know that the Lord is God. Much like what Moses did with the Egyptians, so that people everywhere knew 
that the God of Moses and the Israelites was the one true God. Even when they got to Jericho under Joshua's leadership, the people there were scared to death because they had heard what had happened. And Rahab, that wonderful, wonderful woman, uh, made that great confession, I know that your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Well, that's what Hezekiah wants to happen too. And this faithful prayer from this faithful man is answered. And God delivers the southern kingdom of Judah in a miraculous way. There's no question that he is the one, sends the angel of death to destroy thousands and thousands of, of the Assyrian army. And uh, Hezekiah and the people of Judah are spared. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there because in the, in the uh, uh, decades that follow, uh, by the time you get to around 600 BC, it's been a time of great unfaithfulness. And uh, ultimately the Babylonians do take over Jerusalem, destroy Solomon's temple, breach the walls, and uh, carry off the, the people of Judah into Babylonian captivity, much like the Assyrians were threatening to do here. But because of the faithful preaching of Isaiah and the faithful uh, actions of King Hezekiah, they were not able to do that. Uh, wonderful, wonderful prayer. But there's another prayer that Hezekiah has, and it involves himself uh, in a personal, personal way. And this, is, <clears throat> this story is found in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 20, also in Isaiah chapter 38. 2 Kings 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. You will not recover. You've heard that saying before, right? Better put your house in order. I better put my house in order. Well, this is where that saying comes from. Hezekiah, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, is ill, very ill. And Isaiah, the prophet, is sent to him. He goes to, he goes, he probably is in Jerusalem. He goes to the king's residence and, and he finds him and he tells him, hey, put your house in order. The Lord says, you're going to die. You're not going to recover. I'm sorry. Well, what do you do when you get news like that? How, what do you do? You, you do the same thing that Hezekiah did. When, what do you do when your back is up against the wall? Here's what you do, and here's what Hezekiah literally does. 2 Kings 20, verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. When your back is up against the wall, just turn around. Do a 180, get down on your knees, and pray. Uh, that's what Hezekiah does. Isaiah comes in. And he, he tells him, put your house in order. You will die. You will not recover. And Isaiah walks out and Hezekiah turns around and faces the wall and prays to the Lord. And this is his wonderful prayer. Verse 2 again. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He prayed, his, he prayed his, his heart out, and he asked God, don't remember me for the bad I've done. Don't remember me for the failures, but remember the good that I've done. Remember how I've sought to follow you faithfully and wholeheartedly. I think that's a good prayer. You and I both have times where we failed, and God knows them full well, and so do we. And so when I find myself praying to the Lord, I pray more and more, dear Lord, please don't remember the places, the times when I've failed you. 
when I've sinned, when I've been weak. Please remember, Father, the things that I have done that have, that have uh, uh, established my faith, where I have been faithful in following your will, where I at least have done my very best wholeheartedly to serve you. Uh, remember those things, O oh God. That's what Hezekiah prays. And he wept bitterly, and I know he prayed that God would prolong his life. How do you know that, Bill? Because this is what happens. Remember, Isaiah is the one who had come to him and said, Put your house in order. You will die. You will not recover. And then Hezekiah leaves and is on his way out. And then verse 4, after Hezekiah's marvelous prayer, 2 Kings 20, verse 4, Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back. And tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Don't you love this story? Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah, put your house in order. You will die. This illness is going to take you. You will not recover. Hezekiah turns around and faces the wall and prays to God, Lord, remember me, not for the places where I've sinned and failed you, but remember me for my faithfulness, for my wholehearted devotion and desire to serve you. And as he's praying, God tells Isaiah before he's even out of, the, out of the place, he says, go back, go back. Another message for Hezekiah. God has heard your prayer. He has seen your tears and he is going to heal you. And he gives him 15 more years and he gives him even a, a crazy miraculous sign to indicate that. What an incredible, incredible experience. What an amazing and incredible prayer. Um, Hezekiah, such a great man of faith, not perfect by any means. In fact, when a Babylonian emissaries come from Babylon, Hezekiah doesn't think they're a threat at all. So he shows them around everything. And Isaiah comes to him and says, uh, what's going on there? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I showed him around. What did you tell them? Oh, I told him everything. And Isaiah says, well, that's, that's not going to go well, but it's going to be decades ahead. You won't see it, but your descendants will and that's exactly what happened hezekiah was a very faithful faithful king and these two prayers are such a wonderful example of that praying to god laying his troubles out before the lord in the temple and saying dear god this is a situation and and it reminds me a lot of the prayer uh in acts 12 after king herod had killed uh the um uh the the uh the the uh, apostle james the brother of john uh, Peter is also uh, imprisoned, and the church is praying for him, and they are able uh, to to find his uh, release. And earlier in the book of Acts, the uh, the leaders of the Jews had threatened them, and they went back and they prayed, and they said, God, these people killed Jesus. They can kill us too, but help us to speak boldly in your name in spite of the threat. What a great prayer there as well. This prayer, these prayers from Hezekiah, for the salvation of his people and his nation, but then for his own lives to be spared, were heard by a merciful and powerful God. And he saw the heart of Hezekiah, and he knew that this would be in accordance with his will. 
And at this time, he was able to bring deliverance to the people of Judah. And also, he was able to prolong the life of Hezekiah. And, and God answered that marvelous prayer. Even our prayers of faithfulness, God doesn't always answer with a yes. How do you know that, Bill? Paul prayed time and time again for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God said no. But he said, I'll give you something better, my grace. I'll give you my grace. And through my power, your weakness will be perfected. And that was enough for Paul. And the best example of all, of course, our Savior, our Master, Jesus of Nazareth, alone in the garden, his friends asleep, uh, praying all night long that the Father would let this cup pass. But God said no. Why? Because he wanted something better for us than what would be better for his son at that moment. Aren't we glad that this great and powerful God who saved the people of Judah, who saved uh, Hezekiah, did not save his own son that night, but instead allowed him to be killed so that you and I, so that you and I could have that abundant life that the Savior brings. Looking forward to sharing a little bit more on Thursday uh, from the marvelous book of Isaiah. I'll see you then.